Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm excited to have my friend, uh, hero, so many things, Colby Bauer. What's up, uh, guys? Who, who is the founder of Thread. Uh, Colby, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, dude, thanks for having me, Jay. This is awesome. Well, do you want to give everyone kind of a quick bio background? How'd you get, how'd you get Thread started and, and maybe a little life story? Yeah, so I, I guess if you go back and I'm going to tell you the story of entrepreneurship and got into Fred. It's a long, longer story that I'll just shove it into a little small nutshell. Uh, but when I was 14, I was coming back from Orlando. I was really into wakeboarding. My buddy and I uh, got into competitive wakeboarding out in Arizona where I grew up. And my dad, my best friend Chris, and I went out to Florida and on our way back, we were just so hyped up on wakeboarding. We started thinking just pretty much like every teenager's dream to create a shirt company or some, you know, apparel line. We just started brainstorming and drawing up designs and logos and, you know, brainstorming ideas and, you know, names and things like that. My dad leaned over and he's like, you guys should actually do this. And I didn't understand, like I, it wasn't a reality in my head. It was just more just dreaming up. And, um, I said, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And he just said, well, let me help you guys. I've, you know, I've started a number of businesses. Let's, I'll, I'll help you guys. So he gave us $2,000 as 14 year olds to, uh, to screen print and embroider hats. And, um, and we were off and running. And I, you know, as, as a student in school, I was the worst student. Like I have ADHD. So I'm like really bad at focusing <laughs> and uh unless i really really like it then i'm like i'm all in uh and so i noticed this where school i could count on one hand the number of tests i studied for you know those types of things but with it was called wakeology is the name of our brand with wakeology i was waking up early i was staying up late i was like reading and like studying and it was just so fun and we went door to door to all these different uh, skate shops and boutiques and things. And we got them sold into a handful of them. And we were just like, you live in the 14 year old's dream. And it just, it didn't go very far, but it was the bug of entrepreneurship was implanted in me. And I just knew from that point on, I wanted to start something my own. And, uh, and so fast forward after in college, I was um, at BYU my good friend Garrett G who started an app called scan it was one of the first QR code readers right when smartphones really started to take off he developed that out and sold it to snapchat for 54 million dollars while we were still in college and uh, because he was on the soccer team and I was you know we were both on the team we were traveling I got to just like pick his brain and like hear these really fun inside stories of what was happening in his life and it just got me so interested in in trying an app. So I started an app called Pick Play, which was uh, basically the game apples to apples, but on your phone using pictures instead of phrases. And and so I, I pursued that for a little bit and I came to realize pretty quickly, so like within six to nine months that I wasn't super passionate about technology or apps. And so I kind of fizzled out. Uh, but what I did realize was I loved lifestyle brands. I loved consumer products. And so I was kind of back to the drawing board on what it was that I was going to do. Well, during that time, I had moved out to Hawaii 
to go, I was playing soccer at BYU and the BYU Hawaii coach approached me and said, Hey, do you want to play over here too? And I was like, uh, yeah. So I was bouncing back and forth from Utah to Hawaii. Uh, I was out there in the fall and then back in Utah in the summer. It was just a dream. And uh, while I was out there, I wanted to learn to surf. So I bought this really crappy board on Facebook Marketplace and I jumped into the ocean unknowing, unknowingly that I had my wallet in my board shorts and I lost my wallet in the ocean. I came back on the beach and a kid with ADHD and anybody who can relate, it wasn't the first wallet that I had lost. <laughs> I was like in the dozens of wallets. So it wasn't like a oh bummer. It was just like a oh here we go again. Like I knew the routine. Yeah. So yeah, I've done this before. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I renewed my credit cards and I got a new student ID, and then I went online to buy a new wallet and I typed in men's wallets on Google and I just went to the image section and I started scrolling and I noticed that every single wallet was pretty much the exact same. That it yeah. looked just like the George Costanza wallet, you know that big chunky from the 80s leather yeah and living in hawaii and in being in wet board shorts all the time i didn't want leather and i also didn't want anything clunky so i you know i looked up and i could not find a wallet that i really loved and so i ended up not buying anything um but by the time you know my cards had come so i was i very rarely actually had my cards like all together in my pocket like if i was i just have them in my backpack or something but i was at the grocery store in Lot EA, North Shore, Oahu, and there's a grocery store called Foodland. I'm walking through, and I have all my cards in my hand, and I'm thinking, I just need, like, you know, something to tie this with, you know? And just as I'm, like, looking around, I see on the asparagus and on the broccoli, I see this thick rubber band, and so I go over and I snag it off one of the broccoli stems, and I wrap <laughs> it around my cards, and uh, that became my new minimalist wallet, which I just absolutely fell in love with. And uh, anyway, I, you know, that was it. And then fast forward into my my senior year of college, I was doing a school project where I had to come up with a product idea to launch on Kickstarter and try to crowdfund it. So I'm thinking through and I have my idea journal, you know, I'm going through all these different ideas that I've had over the years, whatever. And nothing's really standing out. And then I just thought the, the most easy product I could develop and sell would be a wallet. So that's like the easiest school project ever. So I thought, well, I'll just make a better rubber band. That's pretty much like, that was my mentality. Uh, at the same time, a brand called Stance, I'm sure a lot of listeners know what Stance is, but they they make socks and they're very expressive socks. They took a category that was filled with just a sea of boring and plainness and they brought it to life with color and patterns and licensing and collaboration and it was just is beautiful that was up and coming and i saw them in a local surf shop and i was like that's it that's exactly what i want to do i want to do a minimalist wallet that's pretty much a rubber band but i want to tag that on with this expressive idea and so it was expressive in its uh in its you know it was, I guess, stylish and expressive in, in the, in the uh, prints, but it was very minimalist in the functionality. So that was kind of the, the hybrid, the concept. So I went to the drawing board and uh, bought some fabric from Joann's, and I started looking up ways to print, and there was this local shop. By this time, I moved back to, um, to Utah. There was a local shop in Orem, Utah, called Beloved that would print on shirts, 
and they just had all sorts of funky prints. And I was like, I'm going to go in and see if I, if they'd let me print onto this white elastic. So I walked in unannounced and, uh, long story short, we, uh, we took this get this kid, this intern helped me out and he grabbed one of their prints that they had just on the shelf, which was a poop emoji pattern. And he, he grabbed it and he put it over the elastic and he pulled down the prep, the heat press. And as he pressed it down, I started thinking through my head. I was like, this is going to melt. Like the elastic's going to melt all over his machine and it's going to ruin his machine. And, uh, and I told him, I was like, dude, I hope this didn't just mess up your machine. He's like, uh, whatever. And he pulls it open and it was perfect. It was like exactly how I wanted <laughs> it to be. And I was like, this is it. This is like exactly. I took it to my girlfriend at the time and I showed her this like white elastic with poop emojis on it. I was like, this is it. I got it. This is it. And she's like, what are you talking about? My, yeah. My brilliant idea. Right. Dude, that's and, so, great. Uh, so then I'm looking for a sewing machine because I, at this point, like I was doing prototypes, but I was just like stapling everything together and like gluing. And so I met this girl. I met this girl with a sewing machine and uh, she taught me how to sew and uh, she helped me uh, refine the product. And then um, long story short with that is I fell in love with her and uh, and we got married six months later. That's my wife, Mackenzie. And uh, we when I was graduating, we had this kind of fork in the road. Like, should I get a professional like a corporate job or what should I do? And we're just like, let's just dive in. Let's just try this wallet thing. So we're living in Hawaii at the time, and we started selling at farmers markets, and uh, we got enough momentum in Hawaii to justify really diving in deep. So we we launched our second Kickstarter campaign in January, uh, sorry, March of 2015. So about nine years ago, and um, yeah, almost exactly, and uh, and that's where we are. So that uh, nine years later, we're we're still cooking wallets. I love it. It's so amazing. Such a great story. Well, and I just have to throw out like Joanne's is like this hub of entrepreneurship where so many times in Pillow Cube's history, we've been like, let's go to Joanne's, <laughs> right? We'll buy some fabric. It's crazy. It's Dude, true. It's, they don't, it's they don't even realize, they don't even realize the, the number of businesses they've birthed out of Joanne's. Yeah. Oh. Joanne's Home Depot, like yeah. they should both. That should be Joanne's new marketing campaign. Seriously, the, the hub of entrepreneurship for so many people. Totally, so, I agree. I also want to ask you, why do you think BYU soccer is also a hub of entrepreneurship? It's amazing how many entrepreneurs you, Garrett, uh, Morgan Gillum, all of the guys who did Kaye, yeah, uh, Ben Perkins. Like, there's so many people. Yeah. who come out of soccer. What do you think? Is it something about soccer? Do you think it's more of a genealogy thing of there was, you know, the Mission Belt guys and that kind of sparked everyone? Like, what do you think it is? I think it's a culmination of everything that you just said. So I think once you see one of your friends do it, similar to like how I was looking at Garrett, it was like it became doable and approachable and inspiring. And so... You watch like the early on guys, you, you've got to mention a guy named Jake Kavanaugh who did Je uh, Kavanaugh cookies and chocolates and they just took oh, off. Yeah. Um, anyway, like you see one guy that's like a homie of yours, just take off and do something. It just inspires you. Right. And um, I can't say that, you know, I think like entrepreneurs might be attracted to soccer or soccer might help facilitate some of the entrepreneurial mindsets. It's a very dynamic sport. There's no like plays like in basketball or football you have plays 
um, or baseball, it's like pretty like you got a batter up and you got a pitcher. Pretty structured. Structured. Whereas like soccer is just like on the move and it's like, you know, and I feel like that type of sport, it trains you to be dynamic and to constantly be problem solving because you're basically like anticipating you're like decide it's just like basically taking risks every every single play like every step whether you step forward or back it's like taking a risk of offense or defense i don't know like that's diving into some of the like the intricacies of soccer but i don't know i think that part partly it does help i mean there entrepreneurship is a team sport you know early on maybe it doesn't feel like that because you're riding solo but the best entrepreneurs rally their best friends, even if they're not internal equity holders of their company, they're rallying a team yeah. and they get to see, because for me as a midfielder, like I see the value of a goalkeeper just as much as I do. Like he, a goalkeeper holds just as much value as a forward scoring goals. And they're playing almost two totally different sports in essence. And so in business, I think you have to do the same thing. Like you're, you're looking at different skill sets, different personality types, and you're seeing how they fit on the field, you know, and how you can play well with them and what position they play, but they all have the same amount of value. Even though the forwards might get more of the attention because they're the goal scorers, like they would lose the game if they didn't have a goalkeeper or a good defender or a good, yeah. you know, so I think that being a team sport in that way too, it helps kind of uh, make successful entrepreneurs. Um, and then speaking to the last point that you said, like, well, BYU specifically is not a uh, school-sanctioned sport, so it's uh, because of Title yeah. IX, it is a club team, and because of that, we aren't able to get uh, scholarships, and we also don't get much backing from the school itself. They give us uh, facilities to train in, but as far as like marketing, like games and things, we had to rally ourselves to promote our our games and pass out flyers and do mark you know campaigns and things like that so it kind of it kind of trained us to like be self-starters and proactive yeah no it's a uh, it's such a great point i, I think that was <clears throat> a the byu soccer games were always so fun uh it was like my favorite thing to do was go to soccer i mean i love going to a lot of the games but soccer men's and women's was just a blast uh, but I love that. I think, I think it's always fun to kind of see that kind of that genealogy of, of like, you know, how things get passed. And I think exactly like you said, you're around other entrepreneurs and it inspires you. And it also makes it feel attainable. Like, oh, it's hard, but you know, my friend did it. And, and so maybe I can do it too. Yeah. And like, uh, look at how stupid so, my friend is and he made it work, you know? I was going to say my idiot friend, but I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to insult. I'll say it for you. <laughs> um uh yeah and uh, one of the pieces of your guys story of the thread wallet story that i really love is that you and Mackenzie are co-founders what have you learned about working together that you don't think you would have learned from just being married like what what has that kind of process been like you know we get that question a lot on like panels and podcasts and things but the way that you just phrase it, like, hits on something totally new that made, made me think, like, if we weren't business partners, what would we be lacking in our marriage today? And I think that's, yeah. that's kind of the question in, like, a backwards way. But that's an interesting question because I think the, the best thing that we've learned 
And most marriages will learn this, but it might take decades, you know, and, but what we learned really early on was communication and not to say we've mastered it by any means. We still argue and, and we'll get into little things, but, um, we, we butt heads a lot early on. It was not easy. I mean, business was not easy and marriage was not easy. And then stacking those on top of each other just made it so tricky. So like we were arguing a lot. We were trying to figure out a lot. One thing about Mackenzie and I's personality though is we don't try to, we, we forgive fast. We overcome it fast. So that was, that was helpful. So it was always progressing in the right way. But when you're in business together, you're forced, you're kind of forced into scenarios where you have to strategize together. You have to problem solve. You have to hear one another out. You have to um, think through like on their, in their perspective, you have to divide and conquer. So you have to create lanes for one another. Like what are my responsibilities and what are your responsibilities and how do we own those things? How do we feel uh, collaboration and feel autonomous? Meaning like you can make those decisions within marketing. Like that is your realm, Mackenzie, but like I want to have a say too. Because I, I feel like my yeah. perspective is, is worthy of that. And then also same with like, okay, I'm doing product and I'm doing designs and that's my thing. I should have the final say, but you should also be welcomed in. And I should, I should want that. And she should want that, you know, because if we're, if we're both working in a vacuum with blinders on, we're not making the best decisions. So by opening the door and having a problem solve, you're just forced into a lot of communication that I don't think you would get traditionally in like just a, like a traditional marriage without business. I mean, you might when you're parenting, but like we were working and around each other literally all every single hour of every single day where, you know, our parents or most, if, if you don't work with your spouse, then it's like the mass majority of the day, you're actually apart from your spouse. And then you just see them in like these, these certain times. And, you know, for better, like I would say for worse, it can be for better or worse, depending on how, like your, your, what your personalities are. But I would say when you can see your spouse in a work environment, like when say, let, let's just for the sake of like the, the man is out and this is just using genders, but like say the man is out working and the female's at home. Well, the man doesn't get to see or hear all the stresses and all the problem solving and all the pains and all the dealing she had to work with at home, maybe raising kids yeah. or whatever else. And then on the flip side, she doesn't also get to see the stresses that he's dealing with at work and maybe the, the office politics and all of these things, right? Well, when you're working together, you like, you see everything. And so you know what your spouse is going through. And so you can sympathize and you can empathize. And it's just, it's just different dynamic. Um, but to answer your question, I think communication, like, uh, that like expedited communication is probably what we've gained the most out of working together. Dude, I love that. I love what you said. Cause I, I think that's me and my wife joke about this of like, we should, we should swap roles for like a week, <laughs> uh, just to learn, just to like feel more empathy for each other. I mean, what she does is so hard. Um, and what I do is hard. It's it, neither one is easy. Uh, and I think sometimes we get in that, like, I, I one of my like key kind of philosophies and principles, like every single thing in life has pros and cons. Like there's never a single scenario that's like all pros. 
Um, you know, it's just everything has pros and cons. Every, everything has externality, negative externalities, positive externalities that we just don't think about. And so I love what you said that like you guys get to have this empathy and, and understanding of each other and sympathy for each other of like, man, I see how hard Colby's job is and I see how hard Mackenzie's job is. Um, that's so awesome. That's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, a missing ingredient to that is like, well, I guess it's a, it's a sister part of the conversation is because you know what your spouse is going through and because you know that they know what you're going through, you're more you're more willing to open up. Like if if I had a stressful day at work, but she didn't really know the ins and outs of my job or the industry or yeah. whatever, or the people I'm working with. Well, then I have to like download her with, you know, like get home after a long day of work and like download her on everything. And it's like just to keep her up. Or it's like, I'd probably not do that. But because she could just like pick it up, you know, then it's like I open up more, you know, and vice versa. So it's kind of like, what's the opposite of like a vicious cycle? It's like a good cycle where it like it actually yeah. breathe, it breathes virtuous, more. Virtuous yeah, cycle. A virtuous cycle of like communication. Yeah. Dude, that's amazing. Uh, that's so fun. Um, and I think that's, there's probably so many times where, you know, the crap hits the fan and you guys are going through just crazy hard experiences together. And that probably brought you together in ways that probably you wouldn't have been able to, to come together without that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Countless, countless. In fact, one literally yesterday where we're just, we're going through some changes at thread and it's been very stressful on me and she could see that. And, uh, and I just asked if I could go play poker with some friends last night. And she's like, you need it. Like, go have fun. Don't think about the business. Just go have fun. And it was just like that little thing, right? That little like kind of like guilt-free, just I don't have to worry about kids or work. Just like I got it taken care of. That little thing like wouldn't have, she wouldn't have seen that if she didn't really know what was happening. Yeah. So, yeah. Dude, that's amazing. What's... <clears throat> What's uh, been the most challenging part of running Thread that you didn't expect, uh, that you weren't prepared for, or maybe just didn't didn't plan on on being hard? Uh, there's each growth phase has it like unveils these difficulties that you just don't foresee. Um, yeah, and each business is totally different. So like you might kind of know what's coming, but everything's so different. Um, I would say because it's so relevant right now, the most difficult thing is staying relevant in our industry. Uh, and that means like we found success over the last nine years, but to continue to have success in this day and age and for the next 10 years is a, it's a whole different playbook. So we can't, yeah. con we can't continue to do what we've, we've done. It just doesn't work anymore. Like it's a whole different era. And, and so we have to, we're like back to ground zero in essence. Like we're, we're alongside every new business right now, just trying to crack the code on how to communicate to our customer. Is it TikTok? Okay. Well, if it's TikTok, what content do we push? Is it YouTube? What kind of content do we push there? Instagram, email, SMS, e-commerce versus wholesale. Uh, you got product expansion. You got a whole new sales mix. So you're looking at wholesale and e-commerce and Amazon and owned retail and custom. And it's like, you used to ride a bicycle and it was like this super easy machine that you just go from point A to point B. And now it's like, 
you got a Titanic. Well, at least what filled the Titanic, even though it's really small still. But like, there's it's more complex, and so there's so many more gears going on, and there's people, and people are just difficult enough of themselves, and that affects the culture and the culture. Anyway, it's just like, so where we're at today is probably the trickiest of all, you yeah. know, because it's it's complexity. Now I'm able to delegate more, so it's not as like grunt work in the weeds type work like it used yeah. to be and that's where when you start out that's what's difficult is like you're literally burning the candle at both ends and you're just like your to-do list is just never ending but you as you grow you trade that for more complexities within the business that you're trying to navigate so yeah <clears throat> dude it's i think that's one of the things that uh just naturally happens in businesses you you want to grow so much and then you grow and you kind of look back and you're like man those were fun days <laughs> right i Things know are way simpler same it's it's just a totally different uh that's actually one of my favorite things of of becoming friends with you guys is that we had those early days where our offices uh this is a deep fact that uh creatively's office was next to threads office and uh we were all your team was in this you know small space and we were in a small space and Sometimes I'll, we'll have a project at the Bright Building where those offices were. And it's like, man, that was so fun. And at the time, I was just like, I want to grow. I want to get bigger. I, I want to like get to the next level. And now you look back and you're like, man, I wish I could go back in time and be like, dude, freaking enjoy this. Like, <laughs> It's an amazing. And we did. We had a lot of fun. But anyways, I feel like do, you ever, do you ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, 1000%. I could you just said sold the words from my mouth. But yeah, it's like life you have, like as a preschooler and elementary school, you're always looking like, Oh, but I can't wait to get to middle school. And then once you're in middle school, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get to high school. And then, then college, then professional. Life. And then you look back after like all of it, and you're like, dang, can we go back to preschool? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same it's concept. It's so true. Yeah, and it just, it's hard not to, it's hard to stop and really kind of like just find gratitude and, and kind of look around and be like, man, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's where like, it's fun for me to see the thread story is to see you guys. And, and I don't think that was your first office, was it? Or was that your uh, second? It was our second. Yeah. I mean, uh, after yeah. our home, we worked out of our house for like two years and then we had a strip mall office and then we went to the bright, the bright building. Yeah. So it's just fun. It's fun to see that growth. What, what's like the big problem you're trying to solve? And that, I, I love what you said earlier. I think this is the, just the cost of doing business or the, or the challenge of doing business is you're, you're just constantly solving new problems and no one gave you a pl playbook. Uh, so what are you working on now? Like what's the future for thread? What are you trying to solve and work through? Yeah. I mean, you just said it like, even if somebody did hand you a playbook, like that becomes irrelevant within like a month, I feel like just because of <laughs> yeah. how fast the landscape changes in this yeah. same age with social media, like trends come and go and you have new tools like AI is just, I feel like is a rocket ship right now. And it's like, what, how is that changing the landscape? I mean, uh, the playbook is just ever evolving, I guess is my point. The, the one thing that you can hold on to as pretty much evergreen is your business philosophy. At least that's how I am. I know you, Jay, we've, we've talked about some of our business philosophies and those principles that you choose to, to add to your 
playbook, so to speak, is they can be evergreen, you know, like people first, profit second, or, you know, like that, that yeah. concept or that principle that can remain no matter what size of company you are. Right. Um, and so I would recommend to any entrepreneur is it takes, it takes experience as far as like, uh, how you're kind of, what principles you're holding on to and building your own philosophy, because you can read books, look at the, you, the library you have, Jay, I mean, you're just like, you know, always, uh, always read, you can read all those books and maybe in a uh, hundred pages, you find one sentence that you're like, that's it. That's, that's yeah. what I'm holding on to. That's what I believe. And you stake your flag in that and you just rip that page out and you put it in your playbook and you just, you're kind of like accumulating all of these nuggets as you go throughout business. And you're just building this, like this stack of, amazing plays that you can always lean back on. So when there's a recession or when you, everything's all well and good, you always check yourself against those, you know, like the, basically the article of the faith, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> we, we yeah. have, we have those listed out like we, and we repeat those as a team every single quarter. When we, when we do an all hands meeting, we go through every single one of those and we keep ourselves in check. And then every week we do our core value, uh, culture share. So, we have lunch together and we highlight each other as employees and uh, where we saw someone, uh, you know, uh, showcase one of the core values and how and and those things like we just you have to kind of build that. And that's what builds the culture. And then the culture is and the people are what actually build a business. So if you have that right and you and you build that foundation, then that can stay relevant no matter what. And now it's now it's just a matter of, okay, we got the right people, we got the right core values, we got, you know, the right culture and all this. Now it's a matter of, okay, tactics. And so because you have the right people, they're going to figure it out, you know? And so it all starts yeah. with that. And as long as you're leading with those correct principles, then it's, um, then, then you will figure it out and you will adapt and you will evolve to the times accordingly. That's, that's such great advice and and it's something i think that really young entrepreneurs struggle with because they're like you know if i build this business it, like you made the comparison between a bike and a ship <clears throat> as the business grows yes it gets a little harder to turn but also becomes more stable hey. uh and you hire great people and like you said you, you you give them kind of the right principles to build on and then they figure it out and, and i think that's uh one of the amazing things about business that as a young entrepreneur, you don't really understand the value of having something that has grown over time. Um, you know, nine, 10 years, it's like, look, we're not going to go out of business overnight. It, it's going to be a long process. But like you said, you got to check yourself kind of constantly like, hey, this is what we say we are. Are we actually like living true to those things? Uh, or if we strayed from them, do you mind sharing any of those? Or there, did you call those something different than the core value, your uh, principles that you review every quarter? I don't even know what we call those. I just have, I call them internally like article of faith, just for like, <laughs> just <laughs> the Mormon church. That's just what you like. I guess that's kind of how I the parallel. But yeah, a little nod. But um, yeah, like we seek for blue ocean is one. So like we're always looking for opportunity. We're opportunistic. And that yeah. means we're not so fixed in our strategy. We can be flexible. So that's kind of one example. Um, we that's are, awesome. we are storytellers is one of our 
values. And so how do we do that? And, uh, you know, part of that is we are a people company that sells product. So first and foremost, we're in the business of human development. That's like, that's how I lead. You know, we could be selling, you name it, tissues or water bottles, whatever. But like we would be wasting our time if we weren't becoming better people through the process. So these like us selling things and building a brand is just a vehicle to become better humans. And so if we lose sight of that, then you start treating your people poorly because all you do care about is like is the money or the fame or the growth, whatever. And and then you it comes at you know, the sacrifice of relationships and, and people's development. And that's a wasted opportunity in my mind. Uh, at least that's, that's a principle that I, I lead with. Um, I'm trying to think there's, there's plenty, there's like 20 of them, but yeah, I would say that's, a, those are, Dude, those are amazing. Yeah. I love it. Uh, well, that's one of the things I really admire about you and I've always admired about you is you have an amazing eye for talent. Uh, you really like everyone I meet who, you, who you've introduced me to or I've met who works for you. I'm like, man, that person is like so talented. Uh, and I think that's something that you and Mackenzie both have is like you really can see um, sometimes even some like uh, diamonds in the rough. Like not to say that the but like people who are maybe like, oh, I wouldn't have thought they would have that skill set and you develop it in them in such an amazing way. So it's something that I've always like been like, okay, I'll just, I'll just follow in Colby's footsteps. <laughs> Who are all the people dude, he's, he's that, working with? That's so, such a compliment. A dude. I, I can't tell you how much that means to me because I would say I know where I'm strong and I know where I'm weak. I'm weak in so many areas. And those are the areas that I, I'm okay with, you know, I'm okay giving that up but what one area that i feel like is probably my superpower is seeing somebody's potential and drawing that out of them and sometimes yeah. that takes years and uh, you know but you can give up on people too early you know uh you can also hold on to people too long i will say so there's the flip yeah. side of that that the flip side of that coin but if if you if you don't let people hit the ground and and actually start to get their legs underneath them and catch momentum before you cut their legs off underneath them, then you could be giving up one of the best employees of your, of your company. In fact, we've seen that happen. You know, some of our best employees were not always such like, you know, they were frustrating and, and it required a lot of development, a lot of very candid conversations. And, uh, and, but when you get through that stuff and they start to bloom, that's when it's the most fulfilling because, not only are you loyal to them, they're loyal to you, you know, that it, that it's a two way street. And so it comes right back and then they're, they'll, they'll do whatever, you know, and it's like they, and they're, they're bought in, you know, they know that you care about them as a human being and that means the most to them. And so, you know, I, I was crying with three separate employees yesterday, just to give you like some context into like how emotional meetings can get is we were like, I was sobbing with three separate individuals on our team yesterday and in gratitude and like, thank you for investing in me and, and then reciprocating that back. Like it's a, you know, people say sometimes that like becoming a family dynamic in business isn't healthy. It's, it's scary because sometimes you have to kick family out, so to speak. Um, so that's probably why people are like, you don't want to have that too much family. I just don't want to do business without that attitude, without that culture, you know, like I want to go to work with, with 
best friends. I want to, I mean, we have out of, there's a hundred plus <clears throat> employees at Fred. There's 35 office employees. And out of those, uh, probably eight to 10 of them are actually family members. And the remaining are like really good friends that I would consider, like I would hang out with them outside of the office. And uh, yeah. I want to wake up and go to work with those people, you know? So true. No, and I, I really love that. I think that that's something you guys have done an incredible job of doing is is building that atmosphere. And, and sometimes I think that's what's hard is we kind of have almost this negative con- connotation of, of that time. Like you said, sometimes you hold on to people too long. Um, but kind of letting people... Like, okay, hey, it's time to fly. Like, I think I love seeing employees who, uh, there's been some employees who left and some employees who we kind of had to kick out of the the nest a little bit. And like, hey, it's like time to fly. Like you've learned what you need to learn here yeah. and you're ready for, for other opportunities. And it's fun. I ran into one of them recently and he was really grateful for kind of that kick of, uh, like we saw in him someone who could run his own business and he was and kind of like, Hey dude, like go do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I love seeing, I love seeing people develop and, and sometimes that's, it's hard to see people kind of move on and, um, go do other things, but it's also really satisfying and, uh, a huge reward to see them go succeed in other ways. So I think that's a great, great comment. Let me ask you a question because, I'm going through that process right now of, of, uh, tough love, so to speak. And yeah, how do you have some of those conversations when, you know, it's maybe the decision of letting someone fly is, isn't just like, Hey, you've, you've, you know, had your chance, you've had your time here. And more so it's like, it just either we've outgrown you. So you're not actually living up to the expectations or, poor performance like how do you have those tough conversations yeah i think i i think for me and and this is i don't know if this is like the perfect approach but i i think there's times where and i definitely struggle with this um we've we've had to to go through some of this recently of like recognizing that hey this is what you're really great at but for some reason all of us kind of made this decision to have you do this. And, and often that's even like, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, best of intentions. It's like, yeah, we love this person. We want to keep them around. Let's give them another job that, you know, isn't maybe what they're best at, but we want to keep them so much. Um, and, and it's hard. Like, I think, I think that's my approach is always to try and like, talk about what are your expectations what are our expectations um are we meeting those expectations and then and then kind of go into like well why not Um, you're not a bad person i I think that's kind of what i was saying with the stigma of like losing job or being fired or being Mm. laid off like yeah too too often we we then say you got fired from your job you must be bad at your job or you must Mm. be a bad person or you must and and 99 of the time it's more stuff like Hey, your superpower is X, and we don't need that here right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we did for a while, and now we just we don't need that as much. Here's what we need, and so that's kind of I don't know, dude. It's the hardest thing. Yeah, every entrepreneur I've ever talked to, it's like, what's the hardest part of entrepreneurship? It's 
going through hell with people and then reaching a point where you're like, hey, dude, you've been like in the trenches with me fighting war. And now I'm asking you to not be in the trenches with me. Right. And it's like heart wrenching. I mean, it's the worst. It really is. Yeah, dude. That's so I don't know. I don't, I I don't know that there's an easy, yeah, good answer. I don't either. I don't know the answer if there is, but all I can say is, you know, and that just learning right now through experience, but you, you can do someone a, a disjustice, if you aren't straight with him, you know, if you yeah. try, if you try to make up some excuse or justify your decisions for a reason, that's not the primary reason. And so I'm fighting with that right now. It's like, I want to be as candid and straightforward as possible, not to hurt somebody's feelings, but purely to say like, here's where you can improve. And here's, yeah. here's why it didn't work out, you know? Yeah. And, and I honestly think that's the why those conversations are hard. And and I, again, I'm not professing that I'm awesome at them. Um, it's really hard because you you love that person and you care about that person, and so you're like, should I just kind of take the easy way and just like ah, it's just not working, or should I, you know, give them some really like radical candor, you know, like like uh, yeah, that right. book talks about of just being very like, look, this is what it is. And, and again, I think if you frame it from the standpoint of what do you love um, and what are you great at? That's something that I've noticed. It's amazing to see how often people kind of have a perception of them. They're like, this is what I'm great at. Or they, or even this is what I want to be great at. And I love as a leader, some getting to go in and say like, yeah, but dude, this is what you are like best in the world at. Right. Um, this one's pretty public. I've talked about it before, but like Damien and I at creatively have talked a lot about this because Damien loves to direct. He loves to produce. He's really good at it. But like marketing strategy, he's like best. I think like one of the best people in like the world, like top hundred people, top thousand people even wow. like, dude, you're amazing. And then you're like directing, like you're really, really good but you might be like top hundred in Utah, hmm. but like marketing strategy, you're like world talent. Yeah. And so where do you spend your time? Do you spend your time doing something that you're like one of the best in the state? Mm-hmm. That's what's amazing about Damien is he's so <laughs> talented. He can be both best at something in the state and then also something in the country. <laughs> yeah. But, but like I noticed that with cus or with uh, employees all the time. I think we all see it where you see, like they kind of want to be something. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey, when he first joined creatively was like, I have to be a DP. And I was like, dude, that's, I don't think that's your, your like secret sauce, your genius. And so, yeah. um, but I think it's hard when you, when you do reach a point and it's hard, it's hard for people to hear, Hey, as a company, we've outgrown you, but the, the maybe reassuring thing for everyone is there's a time where businesses outgrow their founders. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. not like we're unique in that. Totally. We're not exempt from that. So anyways. <laughs> That's true, dude. I love it. Well, we should we should grab lunch and, and dive deeper into this. Please. Please. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. It's always so fun to talk to you. It always inspires me and makes me want to be a better leader. So really appreciate you spending the time. Oh, dude, right back at you. Thanks for having me on. You're also just as inspiring, man. I, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, appreciate it. Thanks for coming.